0: I want to know how many of you have worried so far this year? At least once you've worried. How many of you have worried that you worry? All right. How many of you worried about money this week? Tell the truth. All right. How many have worried about your health this week? See how much we worry. How many of you have not worried in a year? You need to worry about that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're in the talk on the hill, and I want to talk about a universal problem today, the problem of worry. Jesus addressed, as I've often told you, tell you every time we're on this, Jesus addressed every major problem that we encounter as human beings. Jesus was the master philosopher. Nobody can hold a candle to him in all of history. Jesus was the master scientist. He made... The atomic structure. Jesus understands the way you and I are wired more than any single person that's ever lived, and he understands how inclined we are to worry. And so I'm going to read out of Matthew 6:25, and let's get it up here on the screen. And we're in the talk on the hill, the sermon on the mount, and he's tackling worry. Here we go. Jesus said, after talking about treasure that we talked about last week, After discussing treasure, he said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Is it? He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Because your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Let's go to the next one. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Or another version says an inch to your height. And why are you worried about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for her wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Here's the solution to worry. I want you to read this out loud with me, church. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Isn't that good? Now finish it out with me. Verse 34 ends out chapter 6. Ready? So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Can I have an amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry, be happy. I think worry is one of the most debilitating things in life. Worry is a thief, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want to bring you up to speed and remember or remind you again that Jesus' talk on the hill, which you find uh, the greatest uh, dissertation of it or recording of it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I would encourage you to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount we're calling it the Talk on the Hill. He went up into a mountaintop, and when he was sat down, his disciples, who came to him? His disciples came to him. The crowd stayed below. If you're going to get the best of the best from Jesus, you've got to be a mountain climber. And it says, his disciples followed him on up the hill. And when he was sat, he turned to his disciples and he began to teach them. And what he laid out was the greatest masterpiece of philosophical dissertation in the history of the world. Nothing can touch the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I've shared with you that the Sermon on the Mount is like a ladder with rungs on it. And he begins at the bottom and he goes up. Every step you take up that ladder, Jesus is operating on your and my heart. He's operating on our heart. And he's telling us how we need to respond to His Word and to His will in order that we might have a heart like His. He's really, the Sermon on the Mount does surgery on your heart. It renews your mind. It takes things out and puts things in. The first thing He dealt with was anger. And then He moved from anger to contempt. He said, if you don't deal with your anger, you're going to have contempt for one another. In the body of Christ, absolutely. You and I are not are not oblivious or immune from any of these things. He taught his disciples how to not be angry. His disciples how to not have contempt for each other. Then he went from there on the necessity of forgiveness. You will have contempt if you do not forgive. You will be mad at people if you don't forgive. There is no way around it. You want to get old miserably, then don't forgive people. You'll die angry and filled with contempt. He went from forgiveness to lust, dealt with the lust issue, eye trouble. He went from there to what your treasures are. What are the treasures in your heart? And how everybody's got a treasure. And then he went from the treasure to talking about worry. And you know why? Because your treasure and your worries are connected. And Jesus knew that. Watch this. Anger and contempt and forgiveness... And lust, the first four things he dealt with, have to do with relating to each other. They are relational in nature. But these next two, the treasures of your heart and worry are internal. It's how you take care of you. It's what's going on inside of you. There's an old song I used to listen to, and this is going to date me, but it said, I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. I can hear it right now, and I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) But now watch this. The Sermon on the Mount causes you to drop in and see what condition your condition is in. These last two things, worry and the treasure in your heart, have to do with the condition of your priorities in life. You've all got them. I've got them. You've got them. We've all got priorities. We base our priorities on what we value the most. What you value the highest is where your top priority is going to be. And that priority is going to bring a reward of one kind or another, a consequence of one kind or another. Whatever your priority is, is going to pay you back, good or bad. Jesus taught that our priorities had to be the kingdom of God and had to be Him because there is a daily battle going on for you and your time and your priorities a daily battle. Make me your priority. Make this your priority. That your priority. And Jesus all the time is beckoning to us and calling to us, make me your priority and I will add to you everything you're worried about. I will take care of you. It's funny how life comes together when he becomes your top number one priority. So we're going to drop in today to see what condition our condition is in. Our priorities. That's where the talk on the hill has taken us now in Matthew chapter 6. Do You know that 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, check up on yourselves. Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? That's what the Word of God says. Check up on yourselves. Look into yourself. Do you, are you growing spiritually? Give yourself a spiritual checkup. How's your spiritual pulse? How's your spiritual blood pressure? how's it doing? Is it healthy or does it need some assistance? Jesus said, if you're, you get your priorities right. Now, Jesus' discussion about what your treasure is, talked about it last week, grabbed the CD, leads right into his talk about because the two things are connected. It's because what you treasure, church, what you treasure highest and most Is going to decide whether or not you're a worrier. Now I come from a family of worriers, and I've told you this before. I have people, I have relatives in New York. If you don't want to worry about it, I'll give you their phone number, and they'll worry about it for you. I grew up in a worry atmosphere, and I'm not being critical of my home. My my dad was a a, a, a a really conservative guy. He was he had no vices. He was. He was a, a, a very steady Eddie kind of guy, but he grew up in a family of worriers because they grew up in the Depression. And they ate potatoes two times a day, and that's all they had. So my dad learned to worry about everything. And so worry was something I had to break in my own life. Worry is a learned response to stress. Worry is a learned response. You didn't inherit it. It's learned just like anger is a learned response. Worry is a learned response to stress. Now remember, Jesus said you can't have two treasures. You're not wired that way. You can't have two supreme loves. You can't do it. It won't work. He said you're going to grow to hate one and love the other or love one and hate the other. You're going to have one thing that you have crowned your ultimate treasure. And everyone sitting in this room has a treasure you've already crowned, you've already deemed it the most valuable thing to you. It can be money. It can be health. It can be power. It can be achievement. It can be tangible, intangible. But you have crowned something, your ultimate treasure, And where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And where your heart is, that's where your feet will go. That's what Jesus said. He said, you can't have two. You're only going to have one. So what have you crowned your ultimate treasure? He said, you can't serve both God and money. And money right there doesn't just mean dollar bills. It means earthly Treasures. It symbolizes all earthly treasure. You can't serve God and have an earthly treasure that is supreme to you. Christianity, can I tell you the truth today? Only works, only functions, only delivers when He is numero uno. You can't be a drive-by Christian. Well, I drive by church a couple of times a month, go in, do my duty for God and my country and my Christian faith, and I, and I blow out of there. And that's all I think about God and all I know about Jesus until next time I go in there. That's drive-by Christianity. You've got, to be, you've got to plant your feet. You've got to put roots down. You've got to make Him supreme in your life. You've got to say no to everything else vying for your time and crown him Lord of lords, king of kings, over your heart. Or it won't deliver. It won't deliver. People say to me, well, I tried Christianity. It didn't work for me. No, you did not find out it did not work for you. You didn't do what you are supposed to do. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found confusing and not tried. We haven't understood what he required. Jesus said you're going to hate one and love the other, love one and hate the other. There is going to be a contest for who's going to have the supremacy over your heart. And if it's not him, Christianity is not going to deliver you, to you abundant life and peace and joy and spiritual fruit. Jesus' point is that if our, earthly, if our treasure is earthly, it's going to be subject to And here's what he wants us to know. If you want to crown something earthly as your treasure, power, money, fame, fortune, whatever you do, career, achievement, you need to know it is subject to theft and to loss and to corruption and to threat. If it's here, you can lose that sucker. If it's here... Jesus warned us, don't store up treasures on earth where they can erode away and be stolen from you. There's a thief on every corner, invisible and visible. And if it's an earthly treasure, you can lose it. You got it today, you can lose it tomorrow. I read in the paper this week, Jose Canseco, multi, multi, multi millionaire baseball player, just had his house foreclosed on in California. He said, I had it, I lost it. I'm having a hard time making money. I've never understood how you can make 15, 20, 30 million dollars and not invest it and still have some. But they lose it. The winds of life blow on that money and it's gone. Jesus was not saying, and I want to be clear about this, that money was bad. He wasn't saying money was bad. He wasn't talking about that we shouldn't save money. That we shouldn't uh, uh, practice money management. He wasn't teaching against investments or against having wealth. He wasn't saying any of that. He was saying, don't make earthly things the primary first love of your life. Because if you do, your fate is sealed. You're going to worry. You're going to worry. You're going to worry because you know deep down it can be taken away from you. The word worry comes from a a Greek word that means this. It means to be pulled in different directions by cares. Pulled in different directions. It is the idea of being unable to rest or be at peace because of the relentless onslaught of worrisome thoughts. You sit down, you can't sit there for long because you're worried. So you get up and you tinker around with things to get the worry off your mind, and then you get worried about what you're tinkering with. Then you stop and think about it, and you stop, you know, I'm worrying all the time. Then you're worried about worrying. Before you know it, you're in a worry cycle. You know what that worry does? That worry never lets you rest. It never lets you have peace. It never lets you sleep at night. And so... If you're like a lot of people in the world, you do something to stop the wheel from going on in your mind. So you turn to a drug, or you turn to a drink, or you turn to a smoke, or you turn to yet another relationship. Anything to stop the darn wheel of worry from turning. Well, I can't sleep at night, so the doctor gives you a pill. You take the pill, then you get to like the pill. Then you need more of the pill to go to sleep. You take more. Before you know it, you're worried that you're addicted and you might be. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Both worry and anxiety, the original words, bring the idea of being strangled or choked. That's what they mean, strangled or choked. And that's what worry and anxiety do. Your chest tightens. Have you ever noticed that when you're worried? Your breathing becomes shallow. (laughs) You feel like you're hyperventilating. It begins to choke you. Your stomach gets into a knot. Your ability to focus on anything for any extended period of time is gone because worry is pulling you in different directions in your mind. Worry is harassing your mind. Worry is like a pickpocket that follows you around all day long. It pickpockets your peace, pickpockets your joy, pickpockets your walk with God, pickpockets your ability to achieve because you're pulled in different directions all the time. God of this, worry about this, worry about that. Worry is the dark room where negatives are developed. Worry gives a small thing, a big shadow. Worry makes something bigger than it is. And can I tell you something about worry? Worry is a form of faith. Something about it in a minute. Faith believes for things that you don't yet see. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Worry is the confidence of that which is dreaded, of that which you cannot yet see. Worry is hell's version of faith. Worry is backward faith. If I'm walking in God faith, I'm believing that something good is coming down the road. I'm believing that something good is coming my way. If I'm walking in Bible faith, I know a blessing is coming. Man, I came to preach today. I hope you came to listen. Because I'm going to tell you, you've got to get rid of worry, sir. You've got to get rid of worry, madam Don't worry, Jesus said. Be happy. He said it first, before the song. <laughs> worry is backward faith. You're believing for something that's not there yet. You say to somebody, what are you worried about? Oh, I just know I'm going to lose my job. How do you know you're going to lose your job? Oh, I just know it. I can feel it in my bones. You know what that is? That's backward faith. You might as well say to me, I'm just believing that something negative is going to happen to me. What are you worried about? I'm worried about my health. Oh, my grandmama died that way. My daddy died that way. I know it's coming my way. How do you know that? God didn't tell you that. Worry is backward faith. You're believing for what is not yet seen. Why not flip it and say, I walk with God. I'm a child of God. My Savior told me it's my father's good pleasure to give me the kingdom. So I know that something good is coming my way. I know that blessing is coming my way. I know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. But instead, if you're not careful, Christian, you've got a heavenly Father who sent his Son to die for you, spilled his blood so you could be forgiven. And if you're not careful, you can fall into worry, which is an insult to God. Thank you. I'm trying... Jesus said four times in the talk on the hill, four times, he said, Don't worry about it. He said, Don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious for your physical existence concerning what you will have to eat or drink or how you'll clothe your body. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about these things. Don't be burdened down, choked, strangled, distracted. I worry. He said the whole Gentile culture out there that you're around every day, that's all they worry about because that's all they know because that's where they have put their priorities. Our culture says that life is all about what you own. As the bumper sticker so stupidly says, he who dies with the most toys wins. How stupid, how utterly ridiculous that is because you don't take anything with you, not so much as one diamond off that cluster on your ring. Our culture says that what you wear, the stuff you accumulate, that's what life is all about, and that's all they worry about according to Jesus. Americans measure, measure success by what somebody accumulates. We admire Bill Gates. We admire people like him because they've accumulated so much money. We put them in Fortune 500 magazine every year. Who made the most money? Oprah, Bill Gates, all these people who are touting and strutting like peacocks about their money. But they may be vacuous and empty and dead on the inside. You know how the Bible measures success. And you know, I have a a request, and this will have to be edited out, but I'm going to ask the parents to keep your teenagers seated. Unless they just got to get up and say, Honey, stay right there. He's preaching good. You need to hear this. Everybody say amen and give the Lord a hand. The Bible measures success by how well you follow Jesus. I'm going to say that again. What is success to God? It's by how well you followed Jesus. By whether or not you walked out God's will for your life. By how much spiritual fruit you produced. That's what God says is success. You can make billions of dollars like Bill Gates and get to the pearly gates. And, and not hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But you can have next to nothing in this world and get to those pearly gates and hear what every human being needs to live and die to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then you were successful. Jesus warned that if your treasure is clothes, food, houses, money, you're going to worry because you know deep down in your innermost, innermost, you can lose it. Just look at the news any given day. They walk around on the floor of the stock exchange, worrying, chewing their nails, staring at screens, wondering, am I going to lose money today or get money today? The more money you've got, the harder it is to take care of it and track of it, and the more thieves are always trying to get it. But Jesus said, if you store up treasures for yourself in heaven, moth or rust can't corrupt it, and thieves can't break in and steal it. You need to be able to say with Paul. If you want to know if you're successful or not, you'll say this: "I fought a good fight of faith. I finished the course that God had for me, and I kept the faith." If you can say that, you're a success. Jesus warned, "Watch what your treasure is." One day while walking along with his disciples. He saw a sparrow fly by and he said, hey, let's talk about worry. See that bird? Let me tell you about that bird. He doesn't sow. He doesn't reap. He doesn't gather anything into barns. He doesn't have a 401k. He's not getting a gold watch when he gets to a certain age. He has no knowledge of where tomorrow's meal is coming from. He has no idea whether his nest is going to be blown out of the tree by the next storm or not. Yet that little bird perches himself on the nearest rooftop when the sun rises every morning and sings as a new day comes in. I love birds my older age I'm not that old I am my older age I've got I feed them every day I've got a bird feeder in my backyard God uses me to feed some of those sparrows and doves and cardinals I feel the unction I feel the calling to do it he said your heavenly father feeds them on a daily basis and sometimes he'll use you I feel like I'm doing God's business when I feed those birds Those birds live according to the prayer of Jesus that said, give us this day our daily bread. And I'm not worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Today I need to eat. Today God's going to take care of me. I'm not worried about it. Tweet, 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 (laughs) tweet. Excuse me while I sing because I'm not worried about a thing. I'm a bird. Jesus said, you're worth way more than a sparrow. According to Jesus, if your treasure is him and your treasure is in heaven, you will be freed from worry. Now, I'm going to say that again. It's not a deliverance. It's not a demon that needs to come out. Worry Go ahead and try casting a demon of worry out of somebody. Then minister to him the next day. How you feel? Oh, I'm worried it didn't come out. <laughs> you, you, you don't get a demon of worry cast out. You unlearn worry, and you learn to walk by faith. You unlearn that negative wheel that constantly goes in your head, and you learn to trust God and to sing because he's going to take care of you. Uh, You know, I feed those birds every day. I watch the feeder to see how much is in it. And when it starts getting really low, I go and I refill it. I take care of them if they're in the wick wire backyard. But let me tell you something. If one of my children were hungry and needed something to eat, and I had a choice between the birds and them, no question, I feed my children. You're a child of God. And if I, being evil, being fallen, being imperfect, would not even think about feeding a bird over my children, your heavenly Father, who is perfect and perfect in love and perfect in compassion, will feed you on a daily basis. And then Jesus pointed to flowers and he said, look guys, they're just walking down dirt trail out there in the heat. He says, look there at those flowers. See those wildflowers, those blue bonnets on the side of the road? You see that? He said, let's talk about worrying about how you look. You see those flowers? They don't toil. They don't spin. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed down like one of those. Now, Jesus knew how important our physical appearance was in a world that focuses on eye candy, and, boy, we got it bad in America. In America, we'll starve ourselves to death to look what we think is good. The people we admire and worship, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, can I, do I need to go on? Why, why do we crown them king and queen? Because of looks. Looks. It has nothing to do with character. It's just Looks. If you're a girl too tall, a boy too short, or you're big boned or narrow boned, or you don't like your facial features, or the color of your hair, or the color of your eyes, or that you got freckles or don't have freckles, or the texture of your skin, whatever it is, Jesus said, don't worry about what you can't change. That's what he said. I want you to say with me, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, some of you stop at the first word. I am fearful. You look in the mirror and you go, that's fearful. (laughs) What a fearful sight. The older you get. (gasps) Especially in the morning. (gasps) Oh. Oh, my, when did that happen? Where'd that come from? (laughs) Oh, man. And if your whole life is built on the way you look, you're in trouble, dear. You're in trouble. Worry is going to be your lot because every new line. Uh-oh. 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 Head down to the plastic surgeon. Listen, they can only help you so long. Then you look like Catwoman. I'm just being honest with you. Makeup can cover up so much. We're all getting older. Amen. Tell your neighbor and say, you're you're getting older, but you look better than you did last week. (laughs) Let me tell you what you do, Jesus said, with what you look like. I want you to understand that God made you. God made you. He said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. He said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully created, made, custom designed for a purpose on earth. A Corvette is made for one thing, speed. A Volkswagen is made for one thing, economy. They all have a purpose for how they look and how they run. You have a purpose and God designed you for it. So you're unique. So what you ought to do instead of worrying that you're too tall, too short, don't have the right skin, don't have the right hair, not handsome, not pretty in your own eyes, you're beautiful to God. And you need to celebrate your uniqueness as God's handiwork. Say with me, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Give God a hand of praise that he created you. The second thing Jesus wants us to know as we wind down here, he said, focus on inner beauty. Because character is something you can always change. Character is in a state of flux. Character is something you can work on. Character is something that God's out to change in you. We have all been born again, brought into the kingdom of God, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. He's not talking about exterior. He's talking about interior. In the interior life, he wants to chisel into you the character that made Jesus Christ so irresistible. Because he was not a looker. How do you know that? Isaiah said so. There's no beauty that we would desire him. He is not somebody you look at twice and go, wow, isn't that a handsome man? It's not what Jesus was. You couldn't pick him out of a crowd of Jewish young men. It was his inner beauty that made him irresistible. You want to attract the right man, single lady? Be the right woman on the inside. Sir, you want to attract the right kind of woman? Be the right kind of man. Work on your character. It's irresistible as soon as somebody sees the love of Christ in you, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, if you're filled and brimming over with purpose and excitement and filled with the anticipation of your personal destiny in God, there is nothing more appealing, more beautiful, more attractive than that. Nothing. Solomon said, a beautiful woman without character is like a golden ring in a pig's nose. I'm quoting Solomon. (sighs) Without the inward beauty of a heart like his, outer beauty is a disappointment. It is false advertising of the worst kind. Because outward beauty can fool people into thinking that the inward is like the outward, but sometimes on the inward, you encounter a monster. They can be beautiful on the outside, but ugly on the inside. Let me promise you something. Whatever is on the inside is what eventually forms and fashions the outside. I saw a picture this week. She was in the news. I'm not going to say her name, but she was in the news, a a sex goddess from the 50s living in Paris now. And she was in the news because of uh, an issue with Islam. But when I looked, I said, that can't be her. It was Hard on the eyes doesn't even describe it. And I said, what happened? What happened? Let me tell you something, lady. If you are pretty on the inside, it will begin to form and shape outside. It really will. What you gaze at, you become. What you are on the inside fashions what's on the out. That's a key. Righteous living will do more for you than Max Factor ever could. (laughs) Solomon warned. He said, Charm is deceitful, and beauty fades every time on a woman or a man. But the woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Because inner beauty lasts a lifetime, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Jesus said, don't worry about these things. Instead of worrying about food, clothes, your next meal, your money, your looks, he said, I'm quoting him, give God first place in your life and live as he wants you to, and he will take care of all your tomorrows. I was praying this week about something. That was making me worry. And You go, oh, what was it? What was he? I, doesn't matter. I, I battle stuff just like you, and and I just kind of, you know, it wasn't anything major, but I was, Lord, you know, what am I going to do? How do we, you know, what's the, what's wisdom here? And God spoke something to me. I want you to remember it. He said, "I've got it." Now, here's what we do. You sure? <laughs> Are you sure? God says, "I've got it." He's like that picture of Atlas holding the world. He's got the whole world in his hands. I've got it. And so every time that worry wants to hit me, I say, "He's got it. He's got it." Say it with me, "He's got it." He's got me and mine. Can we stand together? <clears throat> want you to say with me, when it's God's will, it's God's God's bill. bill. Amen. Amen. If you're in God's will, it's God's bill. Just be sure you're in his will. Father, we thank you today that there is freedom from worry. I want to pray for freedom and deliverance from worry in this house. That we will not be tormented as children of God with that terrible habit of being constantly distracted by worrisome thoughts. But we can have your peace. I feel this so strong in my spirit right now. God wants you to have his peace. Pastor, what I'm worried about is because I made terrible mistakes. He's got it. But you haven't seen my bills. No, but he has. He's got it. I want you to take a minute, and I want you to cast upon him all of your cares. I want you to say, Lord, I give you the worry, that tormenting worry, fear right at the center of it. And I just give it to you. I give you the money, the relationships, the marriage, the kids, the job, the health, everything. And I want you to do a divine exchange right now. Give him the worry, and I want you to receive his peace. Do it right here in the house of God. And every time you get tempted to worry again, you say, he's got it. All right? Pray as we worship God. Thank you.